Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for another episode today, brand new episode. Uh, we've recorded a lot this week, actually. Uh, I'm joined here at the end of the week by Olivia Vale. Olivia, thank you. Despite all the technical difficulties, thank you for making time to hang out with me today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm really excited to talk to everyone and especially to talk to you about uh, creative play in the world of photography. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is something that's come up a little bit in our industry. You kind of hear inklings of it, if you will, from time to time, but we've not really spent a lot of time on the topic in over 300 episodes here on the podcast. So I appreciate you making time to share with us. We're going to get into that very topic in just a little bit. We actually had the opportunity just to give context to our listeners to connect at the United Conference. Mm-hmm. And um, was that your first time to the conference? It was. Yeah, it was. And it was so much fun. What amazing parties and networking opportunities. And the conference is great, actually, because it gives photographers a lot of opportunities to um, just get into that kind of relaxed zone of hanging out and meeting each other. And yeah, they definitely like concentrate on the fun, which is great. And there needs to be more of that. So well done for Show at United. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, Certainly one of my top three favorite conferences in, in our industry. And largely because they're so focused on or seem to be, I don't know if it's just kind of innate to the people running the the show, if you will, uh, but they're just so focused on relationships. I feel like I'm going and hanging out with friends or family, like you're going to summer camp or something. And when it's all said and done, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of sad that you're leaving your friends. I mean, it's just a really great vibe. And you're yeah. right. They do have a lot of fun as well. I mean, it's it's a beautiful production kind of the last main night there. There's a gala, beautifully done as well. Wonderful food, a little bit of entertainment, um, some dancing, good food and drinks. And and uh, it's just, it's a really great vibe. So for those of you listening in, this was not meant to be a plug for Show It, but but Show It, first of all, is a, is a website company. My friend Todd Watson is CEO over there, but they have put on Show It United now for years. Um, I, I think I actually went to maybe the first one. It was way back in Santa Barbara years ago. But it's hosted in Phoenix every year around the end of October or so. And uh, I highly recommend it. So if you're planning on going to a conference next year, it's a great combination of relationships, as Olivia mentioned, fun, and also education. And uh, you get kind of a lot of all of the above. So highly recommend that. But let's just jump right into conversation. Olivia, you're you're a photographer. You're also, I would just say, kind of generally an entrepreneur because you also own a second business, Photo Fantastico, which we'll talk about um, later on in our conversation. But let's focus first on your photography business and more specifically on its brand position. This is something we talk about a lot at the podcast. Yeah. Would you sum up for our listeners what the unique value proposition, I think commonly known as the UVP of your <laughs> photography business is in your local market there in Austin? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I moved my whole photography business from Canada. So I had to kind of reinvent 
myself or, or, you know, fit into a different geographic and a different kind of, I would say, psychological landscape of photography in the South. And I'm, I have to stop you for a second because yeah. the psychological element, what, what are you alluding to there? Oh, just that how there's different um, mindsets in different geographies. You okay. know, I feel like Northerners are a little bit more quick. They're a little bit more candid. I mean, quick, quick talking, you know what I mean? Like in the yeah. South, there's more of a gentleness. There's more of a like, okay, well, I can't, you know, for me as a business owner too, I had to learn, you know, in the North, I'd just be like, so can you afford my prices basically? And then in the <laughs> South, everyone from the South is going to be hella cringing right now after yeah. I said that, right? Because that's not the way the South works. It's like, you have to like, just kind of like be gentle and like dance around things a bit more and, hmm. and spend more time getting to know people. And, you know, I spent some time in New York City as well. And I think like New York and Toronto are, are both big cities where people just want the information and there's no, you know, no one's going to have like hurt feelings or anything. If you, if you say, can you afford this? They're just going to be like, yes or no. And then moving to the South, it was very different for me to adjust to like, okay, I'm going to like, you know, like I have to be like learn the Southern hospitality kind of thing. Yeah. That's probably like my parents are British and that's not, something that I grew up with, but I've really enjoyed incorporating that in my business practices, like, and in my own personality too. So yeah, so that was one thing that, that like people don't think about, like how kind of like culture is slightly different from one place to another. And I definitely like saw that change coming to the South and I, I really appreciate it. I remember standing in line for a bank waiting to talk to the teller and the teller was having conversations with everyone. And yeah. for me, that's pretty foreign. Yeah. And I remember being so impatient, like, Oh, why do they have to spend five minutes talking to everybody? But <laughs> yeah. now I love it. And like, that's one of the wonderful things about living in Texas is because people want to know how you're doing. Like, you know, they're not being nosy. They're just, that's just part of the culture. That's the like, culture. How's your day going? Yep. How, and, you know, like the bank teller will remember like, oh, you bought this house. How's your house? How are your house renovations going? So I find it quite lovely now, but I must say when I moved here, it was a bit of an adjustment. But um, yeah, a little yeah. bit of travel. I mean, it, it does give you perspective and it could be as short as a, you know, a two hour drive where you see a shift in culture. My, my girlfriend uh, in the last year or so moved to the Chattanooga area where I live and she moved only about two hours from Atlanta. And she was used to the fast pace of Atlanta. And she moved to a little town outside of Chattanooga called Soddy Daisy, which in and of <laughs> itself is a point of conversation. But um, one of the things that she experienced is kind of what you described, going to, and actually, I think it may have been a bank, going to a bank wow. and expecting just, you know, let's get this thing done, get in, get out and, and move on. And she's waiting for that kind of extended conversation that you were describing. Cultures can be so different. I grew up in Japan, spent about 10 years of my life there. And cool. one of the things that I've been struck by is my, my kids and I enjoy watching this um, kind of reality show in Japanese. Uh, it's great practice for me. But one, <laughs> there are a couple of things that come up because it's kind of multicultural in nature. You'll notice, first of all, that that Japanese people will very bluntly and, and actually not even bluntly, it's kind of matter of fact um, they'll say, they'll ask somebody very directly, are you, uh, they'll say in Japanese, hafu desu ka? Which is, they're using the English word half. They're asking you if you're, if you're half, if you're a mixed race. And I can only imagine the kind of looks and responses here, just in the States in general, that you would get oh, if, gosh, if you pose yeah. that question to somebody. But over there, it's just a very normal thing to do. And it's driven by curiosity, just a genuine curiosity. There's no, 
you know, hit on anybody's character or who they are at a deep level. It's just a very simple, curious question. The other thing that they'll do is they'll say, um, in, in, rather than making a very direct kind of blunt statement, they'll always add a, or they tend to add a qualifier. So instead of being so direct or, or straightforward, they'll, they'll add what would be the equivalent of saying kind of to <laughs> that statement, just so it's not too harsh or too direct. Uh, they're very, they tend to be a very polite culture. It's very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I certainly didn't expect to go this direction in conversation, but this is a good reminder <laughs> for, for all of us to be sensitive to cultural differences, even if it's just a couple yeah. hours difference, uh, because it yeah. can affect the way that we are able to engage with a potential client, the impression that we make, and ultimately the experience that we give them. So that's really interesting. Yeah. It can even surprisingly, even in like, like you said, like even a couple hours away in the U S it's crazy how, you yeah. know, like, yeah. Okay. So you're in Austin though. That's a really cool city. Um, and yeah. probably quite alive with many photographers. How do you set yourself apart? What, Definitely. what is that brand position? Yeah. So my brand position is different than I think the main feel of photography in Austin is very, there's a lot of people who shoot I wouldn't say for blogs or for Pinterest or anything like that, but I, I try consciously to stay away from anything trendy in photography, meaning I don't use presets. I don't, I, I shoot very candidly photojournalistically, which is like my personality as well. Like I really connect with genuine moments and think about the long-term nature of that specific photograph while I'm making it, you know? So um, there've been times where I've been, asked to shoot like you know a bunch of friends will come up to you at a wedding and be like oh take our picture but then I'll like literally stop and photograph like a grandma kissing a child on the cheek because it's such a wonderful moment and I know that at the end of the day like that's what's going to be important for people photos that you know it's almost like I shoot photos that I hope will make people cry because it says something lovely about humanity and mm. and why we're all here and I'm big into connection and showing people how how deeply important that is beyond, you know, like, obviously, I shoot details as well. I do flowers, cake, shoes, you know, every, everything standard like that. But, but for me, I will prioritize human connection over everything else in my in my photographs. So I think that's what sets me apart. Well, and I can see it in, in your imagery. So for everybody listening in, if you go to oliviavale.com, O-L-I-V-I-A-V-A-L-E.com, we'll link to this in the show notes, of course, but uh, you can see examples of exactly what Olivia is talking about. Do you tend to let your images do the speaking for you? Because when I think about a brand position, I think about a, a, a I mean, to borrow a phrase that is used to probably way more than brand position, a tagline, um, a simple yeah. statement on the homepage of a website to immediately communicate to a potential client what it is that you stand for, what you represent, what value proposition you bring. Do you let the images do the talking for you? Yeah, I do. I do. I, um, and also I, I need, because I've been running photo fantastica for the last couple of years and like that has, that takes so much of my like passion and joy. It's something new. So I'm super, super excited about it. I need to revamp my own website. So, so I'm, I'm saying it is on the plain side right now. And so yes, right now my images are doing the talking for me, but well, I they speak definitely... very highly of you. I will say <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. I really love my job. So well, and, and I do love the variety of it uh, of the imagery as well. Um, and and to your point, you're not. It's very obvious that you're not paying attention to one trend or another, which I think many times can get in the way of delivering a classic image that does stand the test of time. So um, that is a good reminder for all of us. But 
Um, let me just kind of jump to the next question. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you've been in business. Well, actually, how long have you been in business as a photographer? Uh, I like to say 10 years, but it's really probably more like 15 at this point. Really? Okay. I started really young. Um, I have a degree in English, but while I was getting my degree, I was also getting paid to do wedding photography. So it's all I've ever done as a career. Yeah. So I've been at it for a while. That's- so I, I've been around the block a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you started Photo Fantastico how many years ago? Uh, this is its second time. So it's only been two years. Wow. It's been an idea for a lot longer than that. You know how you have ideas that you obsess about and then you, you get the chance to make them real or you just have that one friend, like in my case, that one friend who said, this is an amazing idea. You should go for it. Like make it real. So, um, that's what I did. But, but yeah. And and by the way, good for you for actually going for it because there are many times that we do have, just as you described, those ideas in our head and then we don't do anything about them. And then, and then we become those people that are like, oh, I had this idea, but then so-and-so went yeah. and did it. And you see it come to fruition and you're not the one involved in it. So yeah, I, I love that you've, done, you've gone and made something of that. And again, we'll come back to that in just a little bit yeah. for our listeners well, to have more context. I just want to interject um, that that was the hardest part about having an idea that I was really excited about. I didn't tell a single soul about it until I had created the website, made the branding, set it all up. And that was, I'm a very talky, open, sherry person. <laughs> so to have that, like, it felt like the hugest secret from my wow. friends. And I felt like I was kind of like betraying my photography friends by not telling them that I was working on this huge thing. Huh. But in retrospect, it was a really good idea because it is a, it is kind of a unique standalone thing. What kept um, you from actually talking about it? Because I, I felt like there were two two things that, that made me kind of keep it secret. One was I didn't want the idea to get out into the world before I'd done it. Okay. Um, so I felt kind of precious about it. Like no one else <laughs> is doing anything exactly like this. Like yeah. sure, there are photo scavenger hunts, but nothing where, you know, you get to see everything the very next day in a cinema and, you know, kind of create the kind of fun that it creates. And then the other reason was because if I failed at it, I didn't want anyone to know. <laughs> uh-huh. there, there's the, yeah. there's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it, it is kind of, I mean, the first one was very valid as well. Oh, no, like, no, I thought, I get it. like I was protecting it as well, but yeah. yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Like I had such a fear that if I told people that I was doing this big event festival contest thing and then it didn't happen or you know, I chickened out before publicizing it, then I didn't want people to think that I was the type of person without follow through. Well, so. again, kudos for you for actually following through. And uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> tell our listeners more about that brand here in just a little bit. But we'll just say for the sake of conversation, you've been in business for about 15 years. Yeah. What would be the biggest lesson that you have learned during that time frame that you would be most apt to share? And if yeah. you had a 15 second elevator ride and you're like, I've got to tell you this thing that I've learned. <laughs> What would that be? Yeah, I would say to not be afraid of failure Hmm. and that failure, like, so that's kind of, even though I'm saying I didn't tell people because I was afraid of that, I think that I had enough faith in it to go for it, even if it failed. And life is so short, you know, if you decide, if you're doing weddings right now and you decide maybe you want to try headshots, but you're kind of afraid to take the leap and, and jump into it you have only so much life and you can always go back and do the thing you were doing before. I think that's the thing. It's like, um, even when I moved to a whole different country, like completely by myself, it was like, I can always move back to Canada if Austin doesn't work out or if I don't, you know, 
like, cause I was like, I might not meet anyone in this new city. I might not get any clients at all. Who knows how this crazy Texan town works. Um, but there's always a redo in life. You know, it's not like you're cemented into one idea. So, yeah. so there's, there's not really a lot of risk in changing your path. And if you feel like your path should change, if you're not totally enjoying what you're doing, you should try the thing that you're curious about, you know? And I think that, um, we, we, we tend to think the risks are bigger than they actually are. Like, yes. Oh, everyone is going to find out that, you know, I tried family photography and I failed at it and everyone is going to like, just think of me as a failed family photographer. It's like, no, people aren't like, people are too wrapped up in their own stuff to really track other people like that anyway. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and other people love to see vulnerability. I think, you know, we've talked in the last couple of years as a culture about how important vulnerability is. And I think failing is a really important thing to not be scared of in that vulnerability canon of, you know, just trying something and embracing it and, and likely you'll succeed at it. You know, I think that's a thing. The hardest part in, in doing anything in life is getting over the self-doubt. You know, I also try as a person, I did a month long experiment where I tried to have no negative thoughts at all, <laughs> which is really interesting and really fun. And, shows you how powerful your mind is, you know, when a negative thought comes in, if you just say, nope, I don't have time for you. Kind of like meditation, the way you do that with like all thoughts, you push all thoughts out. I think by not entertaining negative thoughts at all, we're only serviced by them. I mean, unless it's like, oh, this bill is due and I'm sending it in right now, you know, like, like there are negative thoughts that are designed to be constructive, like a, a worry that you need to do something at a certain time or like, shoot, if I don't leave my house right now, I'll be late. Like that's constructive. But all of the stuff that you're worrying about, but not fixing at that time can just be let go. Yeah. So there are a couple of things here. One, when we talk about trying not to think of something, isn't it, isn't there a tendency that our mind has just to immediately think about that? Like what, what did that actually look like <laughs> to quote, try not to think of anything negative? I guess I have done some meditation, so I'm used to that concept of like just letting things go from your mind in a way. That's exactly what it would be. I think that it's really easy to think of one when you when that negative thought comes into your mind, like, oh gosh, I would love to be a family photographer, but I'm not as good as anyone else. And then that will spiral into more negative thoughts like, oh yeah, I should just look at these other people's Instagrams. Oh yeah, they are really great. I, I could never do that, you know? It's just to not entertain the spiral, you know, to not entertain the thought as it, is this making sense? It, it does. Um, well, I mean, meditation, yeah. and we've talked about this in the podcast before, what I've learned personally anyway about meditation um, has come largely from a guy named Michael Singer. He wrote a book called The Untethered Soul. Have you heard of that before? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a really lovely book, but one of the things he talks about when it comes to actually sitting down and meditating is observing thoughts. Uh, and in fact, engaging with them as objects. So you're the subject, those thoughts are the object. And like pretty much anything in life, you have the ability to choose how to engage with them. So it's mm -hmm. not so much about trying not to think of something. Because if we sit down to, to meditate and, quote, try not to think of something, our tendency is to then think of things. Yeah. We're going to think of something. Our, our brain just kind of continues to work regardless if we want to quiet it or not. So yeah. In that situation, what you do is you engage with it as an object, you you see it, um, you acknowledge it. In fact, I, I literally picture in my mind 
there's a thought and I, I see it and then I'm just going to see it out the door of my mind. And I repeat that process. And it is absolutely fascinating how that ends up putting me or can put me in a quite a deep state of, again, the, the term we're using in this case is meditation, but that enables us to choose how to engage with that thought. We're going to think those things, but we can choose, as you put it, and I love the way that you put it, to go down that spiral or not. We have the ability to mm-hmm. choose um, how to go about engaging with that thought. And so I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And it's amazing that anyone can do it even when they're not in a meditative state. You know, you can yes. be like in the line at the grocery store and see something that triggers a negative self-doubt thought. And, you know, you still have the power, even though you're not in a kind of sanctuary zone in your yeah. mind, you still have the power in that grocery line to be like, nope, I'm not going down that spiral. Yeah, and well, I that's... think it, it is just a matter of, of kind of training and like, willpower. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, willpower, again, I think willpower in that case, I I guess that does play in because you're ultimately still having to choose to engage with that Mm -hmm. thought or not. But um, yeah, I think that's part of the purpose of meditation too. It's not just about having 10 or 20 minutes a day to sit in the quiet. It's also about, as you put it, training your mind to learn how to engage with thoughts as they come up. And um, Mm -hmm. Michael Singer in in his book, he talks about, he asked the question, who are you? And the, the idea, the, the premise for this question ultimately is to explore the notion that we are just awareness. We are the ones that are able to observe our thoughts. And again, we have the ability to be able to choose how to engage them. We can see them, we can acknowledge them, but we don't have to actually follow them and go, as, again, I love how you put that, go down that spiral and follow them because we know what happens when we do that. People talk about being in their head. That's, that's that very idea yeah. of following the spiral of that thought and playing out all these scenarios in our heads about how terrible this thing is going to go. And as you pointed out earlier, in many, if not most cases, that thing's not actually so terrible. But the other thing that you mentioned is is the word failure. And uh, we actually had a a photographer named Kenny Clapp on the podcast back in episode 294. We'll link to it in the show notes for everybody. Uh, but he said something that I thought was really fascinating because it failure seems so kind of absolute and like everything is done. Um, he said, I either win or I learn. I don't lose. And I would almost want to put the word fail in there. I don't fail. So I either win or I learn. I don't fail. Because the reality is, in some cases, sure, a business idea, maybe it's not going to, maybe it's not the best idea. There's not a market for it. People aren't interested in it. And ultimately, you're not able to generate enough revenue to, to make a go of it. So you move on to the next thing. But in that, even in that case, you're learning something. And you're able to take what yeah, you learn totally. from that and apply it to the next situation. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I'm reminded as you're talking about, uh, she was, I can't remember her name, a woman fighter pilot. I was photographing a, a big, um, it was a Dell event, a big conference. And this woman was speaking about the concept of failure. And like, I think personally, I'm, I think that we... I know it's kind of a harsh word failure, but um, I think also there's kind of a levity and a, a joy in being like, okay, I failed. It, it really doesn't matter. You know, like, yeah, I, I, like you can learn and fail at the same time, I guess. You can fail at one thing, but learn something else. But this woman had surveyed, she was looking at success and how, uh, how the top, the world's most kind of like on paper, most highly successful people, CEOs, heads of NGOs, how many times they'd failed in their life, how many times they self-professed that they had failed versus people who had kind of like middle income, like steady, stable lives. And when she asked the people with, you know, kind of middle 
middle income, um, middle of the road lives where they didn't take a, a, a ton of risks. Those people said like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I don't fail, you know, like that's not when I'm not set up for failure. I, you know, I'm, I'm good at what I do. But then when she asked all of the super high level, like heads of the UN and, and heads of big companies, how many times they failed, they would say like, oh, I don't know, like thousands and millions of times. Like I yeah. can't count how many huge failures that I've had in my life. So I think there is a power of, of not being crushed by something just absolutely not working out and just being like, okay, well, I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. And like some of the things I think about, like just won't, won't pan out for me, but that's not necessarily the end of the world. Like I, you know, I can learn and tweak and try something else. And that's exactly it. It's it learn and tweak and try something else. I mean, that, that would sum it all up right there. And I yeah. think, you know, a lot of it probably comes from our childhood, the way that we were raised. Even, even I was uh, raised in a, a somewhat kind of a perfectionist um, home. Mm-hmm. And so I walk away with the tendency to want to make sure everything is just so, at least mm-hmm. in certain situations. And the reality is that's just not, that's not life, <laughs> right? Like we're making it complicated for ourselves by taking that approach to life. So to your yeah. point, try the thing, do the thing. And if you need to course correct, in fact, I had this very conversation with my son because he was trying to to make some decisions about mm-hmm. what he's going to do for college and ultimately his profession. And I said, you know, just do the thing. And if it doesn't work, you course correct and you move on to the next thing. It's not, it, it's, it's not an end all be all. It's not the end of the world if this particular thing doesn't work out. And to your earlier point too, Olivia, you mentioned how life is short and we hear that cliche a lot, but it, at the end of the day, it, it's very true. And, and you, you do, at least I'll speak for myself, I tend to realize it yeah. more as I get older. And I, one of the ways I think about this is if I have a conversation with somebody, um, it, it could be random. Maybe I'm at the bar, I'm having a drink, and somebody comes up and I have the opportunity for a conversation. Or I'm at a photography conference and they come up to the booth, I get to chat with them. Maybe it's on the, on the podcast, whatever the case. Am I living an interesting enough life that the conversations I have with people are compelling? Because it's, Ooh, that's it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, well, it's safe to sit around and, and watch Netflix and you know do enough to get by, make enough money, mm-hmm. and feel safe and comfortable. But if if I go to have a conversation, I have nothing to offer in that conversation. In, in some ways, I feel like, at least for myself anyway, it speaks to the boring life that I'm leading. And I need to up the ante. Not only will that be great for me in my experience of life, it'll challenge me, I'll learn, I'll grow, I'll have exhilarating experiences, but then I have something to offer to at least a conversation, if if not even beyond that. And absolutely, um, yeah, that's a kind of a compelling thought for me anyway. And I think it makes it makes people it makes the day to day stuff seem easier. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you take on a big challenge in life, or if even if you you know, decide like, oh, I've always wanted to act, like maybe I'll sign up for acting lessons. Like I'm really big into people like, you know, obviously being playful and exploring different sides of themselves. And, you know, it's like that kind of thing, even if it doesn't lead to anything, the pushing yourself through that fear of doing something new will make everything else seem easier. And, you know, I think it also like helps your, your brain face challenges because if you've done something that pushes you outside of your box, then you're way more apt to like, okay, well, maybe I can try and fix my car myself, or maybe I can try and do a painting if I've already succeeded in acting or, you know, like there's all sorts of 
little things that trickle that are trickle down benefits from pushing ourselves. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, the reality. It, I listened to um, a guy named Joe Rogan. Many people might know him as the the Fear Factor host years ago. Mm-hmm. He's got a podcast. He does color commentary for the UFC, but um, he's got a podcast. It's actually one of the most popular in the world. Millions and millions and millions of downloads. But he, I, one of the thing I, things that I love about him, he's a very practical guy. And he talks about, on just a very simple level, that the reality, which is that in our at least you know, 2019 first world American culture, um, we might even be able to say this about Canadian culture, but it's, we've become very soft in, in most cases. And you know, the thing that is difficult or challenging or heroic, some of these labels that I see attached to certain behaviors or accomplishments, um, in some cases, at least from my perspective, are almost laughable. Because when I think about somebody who's a hero, I think about you know the person rushing into a the firefighter rushing into a fire to go save somebody, or that person in battle who, despite the gunfire, is going to to rescue his his friend and his comrade. Like th- these are things that that are just not. And it, these are, of course, those are two simple examples. But we don't face that type of danger and challenge on a regular basis. And most of us, anyway, have a comfortable place to live. We have food. We have a little bit of money. And so we're not used to, as you put it, have challenging or having challenges. And so pushing ourselves beyond the box or beyond our comfort zone, even if it's something like, you know, going, even this morning, I worked out and I, I do a high intensity interval session for 20 minutes. And those hard intervals, I mean, they, they're uncomfortable to the extent that I mm-hmm. might even begin to feel a little bit sick. But Pushing that hard means that the other side of that, it, it's something that would be even somewhat challenging, isn't as challenging anymore because I know that I have the ability to push myself to that that level of uncomfort. Uh, and again, that's yeah. just one simple example, but I think it is good for us to to push our push outside that comfort zone. It could be skydiving, it could be putting in a hard workout, it could be you know, starting a business, whatever it is push outside, your life's going to be more interesting, your conversations are going to be more interesting. And ultimately, I think you're going to benefit on multiple levels. Um, man, I, I love this. I, we're, we're just like, this is a philosophy conversation this morning. Rather <laughs> totally, than like, yeah. I love it. I, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about time. Uh, speaking of philosophy, I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, time is a limited resource and it, running a business, it's exciting. And naturally, we tend to throw ourselves into it. But how do you manage to have time for yourself, the important people in your life at the end of the day as a business owner? Are there certain principles that you have implemented in your life? Well, one thing I I try and do is I try and spend 30 minutes every day just sitting and thinking. Really? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Without like not meditating. Just And it's because I feel like it's so rare that we have the time to do that, Mm -hmm. to let our thoughts kind of sort themselves out and I have a very busy mind and I feel like there's ra- I, you know, I have racing thoughts and ideas all the time. I used to be a crazy insomniac where I just lie there and, and think and think and think and think. And I try and get that all out in the morning now. <laughs> so it's kind of almost like a controlled, controlled thought space where I'm not meditating and that I don't push thoughts out uh, unless they're non-productive thoughts, but I kind of sit and I'm open to ideas. I'm open to reflecting on my relationships, my family, my friends, ideas I have for my own businesses, that sort of thing. And that that's been something that I honestly like look forward to like hugely in my day is just having that time to sit and think. And you know, I think I think people in other cultures are better at this, like at least like, you know, driving around Mexico and you'll see like 
you know, people just hanging out on the porch, you know, by themselves, just passing the time. And we, we literally have no time to, to take off, you know, yeah. in our lives. So yeah. you have to carve it out. But um, that's something that I really love to do. And then also I, uh, volunteering really grounds me. I, I mentor kids who have um, parents who are incarcerated at school. Wow. So that is super fun because the kids are just like, the funniest, you know, just like, like normal kids, obviously they've had a, a little bit harder of a life, but kids will be kids and we just draw and play and talk together. I don't have kids of my own. So just keeping connected to, I guess, kids in my life is, is super important. And, uh, yeah. I bet it brings incredible perspective too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like this five-year-old I mentor, he doesn't have a bed to, you know, he doesn't have a bedroom. He doesn't have a bed. So wow. he sleeps on the floor in the living room and, one of his struggles is that his older siblings watch really scary movies. So his little five-year-old brain gets mm. full of, you know, kind of scary thoughts. And we have to kind of process that a bit. Um, wow. So, yeah, it gives huge perspective, which I think is, is great for everybody to have just to realize how lucky we are. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Perspective is everything. Mm-hmm. And again, we could kind of follow that, that rabbit trail for <laughs> yeah. endless amounts of time probably I, yeah. because it's fascinating how even just, you know, a few minutes with somebody and hearing their story can bring perspective um, mm-hmm. or hearing an experience from somebody or an idea that they, that, that has kind of manifested itself in their lives. They're sharing that with us and we kind of open ourselves to that and consider how that's relevant to our lives. It, it can change how we approach life almost immediately. It's really, really fascinating, but we have to kind of set aside ego and and keep an open mind. And I I love that you're prioritizing actually giving of your time and connecting and helping others or connecting with and helping others. I think it's a a beautiful thing. And honestly, I've, this is not, that's not an answer that I've heard (laughs) much, if at all on the podcast. And and it's a really beautiful example and reminder for all of us. So I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Also, I'm weird in that I don't feel like I need free time for myself in the same way as other people do. I just like to be busy all the time and I feel like it works for me. I, you know, in those Myers-Briggs tests, uh, it tells you how introverted and extroverted. I'm a 97% extrovert. Okay. So I need like no recharge time as a human being. So I feel like, you know, like for like my fiance, who's a 97% introvert. Wow. So we complement each other really well in those ways you know, he definitely needs his own time. And I, I really don't need any of that. So I feel like I'm lucky in that, you know, I can just kind of keep going and be like, I'm not, I'm not a very introspective person. I don't think about myself a lot. I just kind of like do a lot of things, Hmm. you know, which, yeah. I think, I think, um, the, the artist types, if we want to put the introvert label and then that's fine too, but I I think we could stand to do more and think less, (laughs) at least Uh in some cases. (laughs) Because again, you know, to our earlier conversation, I just, I see, all you have to do is jump on Facebook and spend five minutes there and you see people, whether it's in our industry or or outside the industry that are, they have the luxury of being able to be in their head and unfortunately to an unhealthy extent Mm -hmm. and they get stuck there. And it's fascinating what happens when you just, when you step beyond that and start doing, and and I I can speak from experience because I spent way too much time in my head for a a large period of time, actually. And it kept me from being, it's not just about being productive. It's, it's about living. We sit around in our head for too long. It can cause a a variety of psychological issues, but simultaneously we we never actually do anything. We never actually live. 
and mm-hmm. I, I, I want to live more and maybe think just a little bit less. I think it's important to have perspective and to, to in some cases, plan and, and certainly to, to have a little bit of introspection and to be self-aware. I, mean, I don't want to minimize any of that, but I think our culture, again, because we're so comfortable most of the time, we tend to spend too much time in our head, and I think we need to get out of that and start doing. So again, I, I appreciate that reminder, that example. Talk to me about mm-hmm. something about, well, I guess ultimately a, a book, maybe a podcast that has made an impact in your life in the last few years. What yeah. Does something come to mind, whether it's a business book or maybe a self-help book? Um, a self-help book in a way that is not explicitly self-help that I love. Okay. And some of you guys might have heard Dr. Stuart Brown's TED Talk on play but that for me just speaks to like everything that personally I feel is beneficial for like a creative person, especially really? is to remember okay. how to play. Okay. And it's called play how it shapes the brain, opens the imagination and invigorates the soul. And it basically speaks to, you know, I feel like we can all see how kids, you know, are often these days just like there's so much screen time to be had and, you know, when I grew up, my sister and I would just like write plays and perform them in the basement. And, you know, we just we, we were engaged in so much imaginative play that gave us so much joy. And, you know, when I think back on my childhood, like I have super distinct memories because we were such creative kids. And I sometimes wonder, like, are kids these days going to have those kind of like crazy, colorful, heightened, like sensory memories of just like doing something creative with their siblings with their friends yeah and i think the same is for adults too it's like you know dr brown says in his book the playlist adults become stereotyped inflexible humorless loses the capacity for optimism and is quicker to react to stress with violence or depression than the adult whose play life persists so that's a philosophy that really speaks to creative playfulness and incorporating play in your daily life as a tool to like not only because it's enjoyable, but because it will make you a more optimistic, more fulfilled, happier, healthier human being. Wow. Okay. So I, I did a search here on YouTube and the one that popped up from Dr. Brown is play is more than fun. Is there a different one? Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's it. That yeah, is it. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. We'll link to that in the show notes for everybody who's curious. I'm, I'm definitely going to go have to take a listen to that here after we're done. Um, it sounds <laughs> really, really interesting. And we're going to talk more about this idea of play in just a second, but let's, let's jump to one more question here. And this is kind of geared toward the photography realm. Again, uh-huh. what is a, an unusual item in your camera bag that has enabled you to be a better photographer? This doesn't have to be a, a camera or lens, obviously. Does something come to mind? I thought about this and I would say having lots of granola bars is the only thing <laughs> I can think about. <laughs> okay. Well, we at least know, need to know the brand. What, what's your favorite brand? Uh, I usually just buy Nature Valley. Like I'm not, yeah. when I'm shooting, I am so in the zone that I, I li- like, I would literally eat like anything weird that had calories in it. Like as long as I get nutrients in my body, I'm pretty skinny and I sometimes forget to eat. So I just have to like, remember to fuel myself. And, um, I know that if I don't eat, then I'll get kind of shaky yeah. and, you know, being kind of like, a tall, tall, long-limbed person, I feel like it's easy for, for me to get kind of low blood sugar. So 
so if I, you know, I'll tell my second shooter that as well, like help yourself to any of these granola bars and snacks <laughs> and make sure that I'm eating as well. If you see me like, you know, looking like I'm fading or a little pale. Yeah. Make sure to hand so. me one. Do you like the, do you like the <laughs> chewy granola bars? Or do you like the ones that are a little bit harder? Uh, I like the harder ones just because the chewy ones always tend to be too sweet. Like uh, they okay. just seem like too sugary for yeah. me. I have a like very low, low sweet tooth. I have a salty tooth though. Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's probably <laughs> I love a good salty thing. snacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I remember, I think it was, I'm trying to think the nature Valley, those harder, like cinnamon flavored granola bars, that type of thing. I think my mom used to pack those in, in my lunch growing up. So I, I, oh. I remember very distinctly that the, the the texture of those granola bars. And it was a good thing, but that's funny. All right. So for anybody who's (laughs) curious, who's never had a nature Valley granola bar before we will link to them in the show notes and you can thank me in advance. (laughs) And if you do like sweet things, I would highly recommend the sweet and salty ones. Oh really? Because yeah, those are great. I just, they just get too sweet for me, but you know, they're, they're really good. I can only, I can eat like a quarter of them before I get like, I get like sweeted out. Like my mouth will just be like, ah, too sweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you like sweet things, go for the sweet and salty for sure. Yeah, they have. Don't they have a salted caramel flavor that that has that kind of sweet and salty both? Oh, I don't know, but that sounds good. I know that they have like a yogurt kind of a little yogurt blanket layer on yes. them, mm-hmm. and then the like nuts and sweet stuff inside. So. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right. Well, <laughs> Haley, who produces the show, she's going to link to maybe a few of these in the show notes for anybody who's curious. But let's jump to this conversation about play and and you know I. You pointed out the fact, Olivia, earlier that, you know, we've talked about the topic of vulnerability in our culture for the last two or three years. It's become a popular mm-hmm. point of conversation. The significance of in the in a creative industry or the photography industry like ours of kind of getting outside the day to day, just shooting for work for the sake of creativity and minimizing burnout. This is something that's come up. It's begun to come up. Uh, mm-hmm. did you have an experience in this realm? I mean, did, was there a point at which you kind of burn out on photography or burn out in your business because you weren't incorporating play? What did that look like? Yeah. So in Canada, I was shooting about, you know, 30 to 35 weddings wow. a year, Okay. mostly by myself too. Like I would shoot solo often because I'm like, I just like felt like I, you know, and, and like, I definitely could handle it, but I feel like I missed out on, um, I kind of burned out, I guess, socially on having a, a life. <laughs> sure. So it wasn't the work that burned me out. It was what I was lacking. So what I was lacking was spending time with my friends, spending time with my family, spending time with other photographers. And, you know, I was kind of just a one woman show of sleep, eat, shoot, edit. I would shoot on a Saturday have everything blogged by a Wednesday, by the, the same Wednesday, and have everything ready to be delivered on Thursday or Friday. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was basically just a workaholic for a couple of years. And that was before I moved to Austin, which is such a fun-loving, patio-friendly, warm, you know, warm evenings almost all year long where you can just like shoot the shit and sit outside with friends and have a a great time sounds kind of ideal yeah it it definitely like slowed me down when I moved here in a lot of really healthy ways um so I think I think for me combating the burnout that I felt was and and the burnout it's funny because I I love shooting weddings so much that it would be really hard to get burnt out on on the the physical like act of like seeing and shooting a wedding and and being there but 
I was definitely like sacrificing everything else in my life for that. But you know, th- this is actually a great segue into my next question and, and actually mm-hmm. a point that you made earlier too. I'm, I'm curious about this because you mentioned earlier that you're not one that, that feels like you need time for yourself that mm. you, te- you have a tendency of doing. And of course, you know, psychologically yeah. this could come from various directions, but I'm, I'm curious, do the ideas of play and work have to be mutually exclusive? Like if, if somebody is so yeah. burnt out on their life or on their business, is there a chance maybe that they need to kind of rethink the business model uh, in order to feel like, or in order to enjoy themselves a little bit more and not feel like they need this, there's this kind of distinction of, oh, I need to get, I need to go on vacation or I need to, you know, I'm excited because it's the weekend and I can, I can have a break from what I do. Should there be a, maybe a shift in mentality about this? What do you think? Oh yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's if you're not thoroughly enjoying what you're doing, then, you know, maybe it's time for a, a little tack in your career path, or maybe it's time to reevaluate what things really bum you out and what things you could give to someone else to do you know like I think a lot of photographers struggle to outsource because they want to have control and like I know that you know that comes up on the podcast that has come up probably for a lot of people they know that instinctively that outsourcing is wonderful it's just like taking the leap of faith to do that sure but yeah you know there should always be I remember like when I was a kid my mom when she dropped me off for school me and my sister she'd say remember to be silly instead of remember to study hard and get good grades or, you know, I, I think she knew also that we were like pretty diligent, but, but definitely there was a reinforcement in my family about like, you know, that you should take time to laugh and, and have fun and definitely even spending time with friends, games nights, you know, um, getting together with other, other photographers is super reinvigorating. And I think, I think that sometimes like, like, yes, reevaluate like what you're doing in life, but also like, are those other things, do those auxiliary things support what you're doing? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about, um, are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? Do you follow him at all? No. Yeah. See, he's, he's kind of prominent in the marketing world and, and is quite compelling as a personality. He's high, high energy, but one of the things he talks about, um, I think it's become kind of a theme for him is, the reality, which is that if we don't like something, we can change it. Like the, the idea that we have to exist in this state of um, of work uh, or a type of business that we're currently running that we just we're constantly complaining about. I mean, there may be some some personal issues we need to work on there as well. If if we just have a negative attitude all the time, but at the end of the day, we have. I mean, part of what is innate to entrepreneurship is the ability to to be our own boss and ultimately make decisions for ourselves and decide the direction we want to go with our business. And I just wonder yeah. if, and, and honestly, I'm kind of speaking to myself here too, if there are times when I get frustrated with my work um, for you know a, a certain a segment of time, I think it's important for us to, I mean, we're going to talk about the significance of play. I think that's great on multiple levels, but maybe even before we get there, just reevaluate too what we're doing with our business model that's causing so much frustration mm-hmm. and angst. Uh, and maybe even take a step back further from that and, and kind of explore, develop a little self-awareness and understand where that negativity is coming from. But then make a switch to the business model, make a switch to the way that we uh, approach workflow on a daily basis. Because a lot of photographers are, are just, they're kind of running ragged they're not really thinking about structure and workflow and how to go about doing something efficiently so it doesn't frustrate them. They're, they're obsessed with control in many cases, kind of like you alluded to, and they have their way of doing things and they tend to react to everything that's coming in. And so naturally you're going to burn out. Naturally you're going to get frustrated. 
there are ways to take a step back and look at this from a top level view and, and establish a proactive kind of structured, organized workflow um, that frees you up to just live and frees you up to be creative. And mm-hmm. um, so I think it's good for us to, to evaluate a little bit where we're at if we're frustrated. Yeah. And to try new things. Yeah. To try to be creative in your own approach to your own business, you know, and if that means trying to outsource absolutely everything for a couple of weeks and seeing how it goes, you know, the worst that can happen is you've lost some money and it didn't work. But, you know, like no doubt if you do that, you'll feel kind of freedom from doing a lot of the tasks you didn't like. Um, and that's, that's kind of all part of having a creative, playful mind is having, having a, a joyful approach to, you know, I'm just going to try this thing, you know, and that's what play is all about. It's about trying new things. And, and you can take that philosophy and put it into your business. Like, I'm just going to try outsourcing all of this editing and I'm going to outsource all of my calling, even though I said I would never do that. You know, like <laughs> there's always things you can, you can push your own boundaries and be playful with your own boundaries and see what works because, you know, like every, every single success in the world has been because a risk was taken, hmm. you know, like every new development, every, every one of the human rights we have, you know, they're here because people took risks and, and stood up. So we can do smaller movements like that in our own business towards it. But, but yes, for sure. If you're, if you are just one of those photographers who are like, I hate weddings, but I shoot them anyway, yeah. you know, like make a change, time for to reevaluate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't just complain about it. hundred percent. Uh, Okay, yeah, well, let's yeah. let's shift the conversation to play though, because I I want to, for the sake of our listeners, kind of make this practical. I'm yeah. a huge fan of them being able to listen in and, and take some information and go do something with it. Speaking of doing, so can you mm-hmm. kind of paint a, a more detailed picture, colorful picture here for our listeners? What does it look like to play for the sake of encouraging creativity, minimizing burnout, uh, in a really yeah. practical way in day to day lives for photographers? Yes. So I started thinking about this when I spoke at a conference in Amsterdam about six or seven years ago. Very and cool. I ran a workshop there as well through the uh, Fearless Photographers Organization. Another amazing conference, by the way, Friends yeah. of Fearless yeah. is coming up in January. And um, everything that Fearless does is also like very grounded in community. Um, and they, they kind of have like a photojournalistic bent to their wedding photos, which I personally like resonate with. And, and that's, that's been a a community that's been big in my life for a long time. So little plug for fearless as well. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll link to it in the show notes for anybody curious as well. That'd be great. But so at this workshop, I decided instead of to do a workshop to do, and this was like, so I spoke and then, and then had this workshop to do a play shop instead of a workshop. So there would be no sit down kind of instruction or talking about image making, there would just be image making. Um, And to do that, I gave the class participants different image prompts and had them, you know, like find, find your composition and then sit and wait for at least five minutes and see what happens. Like, so, you know, they just had like little experiments where, you know, we all fall into patterns in our image making And I just wanted to give people suggestions on how to slow down or speed up. You know, experiments were kind of different. I had people, you know, kind of take a photo around a certain theme. Um, I had people partner up and take, do like 360 portraits of each other and try and photograph their partners from all angles. Um, You know, that, that kind of thing, I feel like we, our eyes get accustomed and, you know, neural pathways, um, that's a big thing, you know, it's the same as having like negative thoughts. If you have too many, 
you actually like will will cement in those neural pathways that have the same kind of thought. Creative thinking can be the same. You can you can kind of override creative thinking into predictable image making <laughs> that you do because you've done it so many times that you kind of cement those neural pathways. So, so even by thinking creatively in different ways, you're helping your brain out by showing it that it can think of in think in different visual patterns. So so that's kind of what Photo Fantastica was based around is the idea of giving photographers different prompts and training training people's brains to be able to think in different ways. Um, Photo Fantastico is also fun because it's done in teams. But, you know, there's a lot you can do at home by yourself too. Like I, I actually have three examples for listeners that they can try. And also one thing I recommend, which is really fun, is to set an alarm on your phone for some time during the day where you know you're going to be home or in your studio um, that you'll forget about. You know, let's say if I was going to give myself a creative experiment to do today, I would set an alarm for maybe like it's, you know, 11 right now. I'd set an alarm for 5 p.m. By the time 5 p.m. comes, I'll forget about it. But my alarm will go off and I'll be like, oh, okay, now I have to do this image experiment. So some of the images, ex- image experiments that I kind of wrote down to share with you guys is take a photo of the most interesting thing in the room in the most interesting way. So that could be something like, you know, um, your favorite object in your living room, really exploring that object and don't just take it straight on, but finding like a really interesting way to communicate to your viewer what you love about that object and why it speaks to you so much. So that's a cool one. As second one is take a photo of a color that speaks to your soul and look at it for a full minute. I feel like, um, we use color all the time in ways that we don't know in our compositions. We prefer images to others because of color and we don't necessarily realize it at the time. So this image experiment just lets you go crazy and fall in love with a color and just sit there and look at it. I think sometimes thinking about um, what we love about an image will help us appreciate all of the amazing visual things that we get to enjoy in our world. And then the last image experiment is to take five selfies in five minutes in radically different ways. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So this one is fun. And for this one, you have to toss aside the idea that it's, you know, that you're looking at an image of yourself and, you know, just don't be judgmental at all about that. But um, using yourself as a subject and finding finding ways like, you know, you might have a corner of your house where the lighting is really cool, but you've never really noticed. And you've, you know, maybe you can play with that lighting or play with ways in which mirrors can move in your house and find it, find an amazing way to take a selfie. Uh, That way, I think that, you know, it's just fun to play with different ways to make images and you can use yourself as a subject and not show these images to anyone. You know, it's, it's a fun way to, um, get your brain thinking. And the, the more also you think in a quick, creative way, like that's why, you know, I'm suggesting do five in five minutes because sometimes your brain will have a, a block when you start something, but it's kind of like mind, like Jedi mind training. Like creativity can be the same way. By making yourself think quickly and think creatively, you can train your mind to think creatively more often and have more access to those parts of your, your creative brain. So that's a really good one for 
you know, it's like brainstorming is good for that as well. It'll start off slow. And then usually if you're, if you're doing kind of a writing experiment when you're, when you're brainstorming, things will just flow and get quicker. And you'll, you'll usually like the things you thought of at the end rather than at the beginning. And I bet that if you do that selfie experiment, you'll, you'll prefer the photos that you made at the end rather than the first one, because you'll have just warmed up your brain even in those five minutes. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, and, and it'd be interesting too. I mean, I'm, so I'm, I was taking notes as you were talking. Uh, the first point that you make, take a photo of the most interesting thing in the most unusual way. You could even do that five different ways too, because you're right. There's a tendency, <laughs> I mean, I, as, as I shot weddings for over 10 years and it, it became second nature to be in not the most ideal scenario uh, not the prettiest of of situations or locations, and be able to figure yeah. out how to frame it and use the light and take a beautiful picture, and and you know your your brain has the ability to be creative very quickly. But the caveat there is it most of those pictures tended to be from the same <clears throat> excuse me the same angle, um, same focal length, and and you know it's almost like rinse and repeat. So the idea of kind of pushing yourself to take five different angles or perspectives of a particular subject or object, I think is a really great way to go about forcing yourself to be creative because it is so easy just to pull out the camera or pull out your phone and just snap a shot and be done. And it might get the job done, but how interesting will it actually be? So that's, that's a really cool thing. And then you said, take a photo of a color that speaks to your soul. So talk to me a little bit more about what this, what this means, what this looks like. Like, how would you go about this, this process when you're taking a photo of that picture and then kind of dwelling on it? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So that is also another good one to do, like when you're in a place which you love, like your own home, Hmm. you know, for me, I have a big like salmon red colored couch in our living room that's like a you know it's just a beautiful like vibrant color and everything okay. is kind of like matched in, in in our house kind of coordinated around it anyway. and I think that you know we visually are you know like I mean there are all sorts of studies that show how your mood responds to different colors and that's just one that lets you like appreciate a certain color in a certain way and and you know just lets you dwell on it a little bit yeah, um, almost kind of like what you were talking about earlier, where we actually make the time or take the time to s- sit mm-hmm. and just be in the moment and and let the thoughts kind of flood our mind if if we want to. That's kind of a it's almost a meditative experiment. Oh yeah, yeah, it's very meditative, and it reminds me of being in a in a museum and just like uh, there was a it was about twenty feet wide by it was it was probably pretty square. That this painting that just had like gorgeous like blues and corals and super vibrant, immersive colors. And I remember just looking at it and like feeling like I was falling into the color because it was mm. just so, it just resonated so much and, and was so lovely to look at. And, you know, I think just, yeah, connecting, connecting to things like that in a way um, and shutting off your adult brain that says like, oh, that's kind of silly. Like, you know, <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> why would I just like look at a color? Like that's, you know, it's like, no, like really appreciate it. Like all of these, amazing things exist in the world for us to look at. But I think we forget why we started doing photography in the first place. And it's because we were all those kids that fell in love with visual things, you know, like we loved image making and um, being creative with cameras. And I think especially like weddings and portraits, you know, you can get like stuck in a rut. Like, yeah, I shoot a wedding cake with an 85 millimeter lens, usually like 1.8 aperture from a certain distance back. Yeah. And like, I know exactly my lighting that I shoot, but like, wow, what if you could take, you know, like 
another angle where you saw, you know, where you took a picture of like the inside of the moist cake after it was cut, but with like some people eating the cake in the background or, you know, like you could make a whole different kind of detail shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking in ways like that will not only improve your images for your clients, but also give you more sense of like satisfaction and fulfillment as an artist, which we all started as, as photographers. And then somewhere along the way, we get into this, like, oh, I'm just doing things by rote, you know, and that's, that's what kind of photo fantastico exists is to like, bust people out of thinking in those set set patterns. The, my my girlfriend has two cats actually as as we've been recording <laughs> I'm I'm been watching them they're just beautiful but they're playful and mm. they're just beyond curious. You talk about being like a kid. Um in fact my girlfriend actually gave me a pillow a while back that says never grow up. And and I <laughs> love that and it's kind of a Disney thing but it, I love that mentality which is to, to always kind of like these kittens do to always be curious, to always mm-hmm. want to, or have a desire to, or if, if need be kind of create a desire to, it may, may take a little bit of uh, development of this tendency or this habit, but be curious and, and try to understand why or how that thing works. Mm-hmm. Take a step back and just listen or just watch um, and pay a little bit closer attention because, again, as you pointed out earlier, Levi, we do have a tendency to just do, do, do many cases kind of mindlessly, just frantically. And we don't take the time to step back and just be, to be quiet, maybe to think a little bit, to observe, uh, to soak in a color in the context of our conversation. And I think it's really important to to go back to the creativity that was innate to being a kid, avoid being the adult that we, for whatever reason, feel like we have to be so much of the time and, um, and just play a little bit. This has been a really, really great reminder. And you've mentioned Photo Fantastico a number of times. It, it seems as though you've created a platform that encourages this kind of playfulness, but can you give a little bit more context to what that brand's about? Yeah, totally. So Photo Fantastico, it, it actually, the genesis of it was I did something quite similar about a decade ago at WPPI in Las Vegas. One of the years in WPPI, they had a photo, a team photo scavenger hunt contest. And my friend Kirsten Bethman Lewis, she's a great family photographer, family documentary photographer. She called me up and she was like, hey, you need to come to this with me. And we formed a team of four girls we went down to WPPI, saw very little of the conference, unfortunately, but had an amazing time <laughs> yeah. running around Vegas, taking photos from these photo prompts that were given to us. Um, some of them are location-based. Some of them were uh, just, you know, fun photo prompts. I remember one of them was have Jerry Giona sign a body part of one of the <laughs> um, team members. Yeah. One of them was take a picture showing what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So they were, you know, kind of loose creative clues like that. And literally, I had the best time of my life. Like we laughed so much. We would do silly things. Like we dressed my friend up as Elton John and crashed a piano bar and like had her sit at the piano and like took photos. No way. Like as Elton John and then photoshopped an Elton John poster to put in a photo like of her as Elton John um, in the poster. So we just had a, a crazy time. We ended up winning that contest and then it never happened again. Hmm. So you know, I, I always thought that was a shame. Like, you know, that concept was so much fun. Why, why didn't they put it on again? And I'm wondering if it was like, we got like a crazy amount of prizes. And I'm wondering if like, maybe, maybe that's why they, they gave away too many great prizes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but anyway, so that was kind of the genesis of Photo Fantastico. So Photo Fantastico happens in Austin. It's it's happening in Austin for the second time. The third time, I think it'll happen in Austin, and then we'll we'll hopefully like move it around to other cities. So it's a team photo scavenger hunt contest where you have a day to take photos from prompts that we give you. And then the very next day we sit in a cinema and we see everyone's photos on the big screen Wow! Um, in a cinema that we partner with. And then there's amazing prizes and judging. We have three photo judges coming in to help out with judging. Then we end with a boat party with a DJ and photo 90s photo booth. And um, we have food and drink sponsored and, uh, so it's it's a lot of fun wrapped up in the event as well, but it's centered around um, working collaboratively with your photo friends, your photo peers, your studio mates, your spouse to create images. And and it it turns out that it's a really fun thing, a really bonding thing to do with anybody in your life, even if they're not necessarily a photographer. Yeah. You know, if someone is a creative person, like if you have a, a non-photographer spouse but they just have some good ideas occasionally and they, they love to pipe up with, with ideas um, that would be a perfect person to do with as well. So yeah, basically it's a, you know, and, and in the contest, unlike a regular scavenger hunt that's judged on, did you go to this location check? We judge it on what kind of glorious, imaginative, creative images did you make? You know, like how can you wow us with your image making? The team that won last year, they were one of the girls was from Canada, and then the other two were from Wisconsin and somewhere else up north. But um, they were friends. They just made some amazingly creative images, and also all of their images hung together in kind of a story narrative, which was really fun and interesting too. And one of the coolest parts, honestly, is seeing what other teams made with the same image prompt. So. We had an image prompt called Bird's Eye View last year. We also had one that was Twilight Zone, Two Sides was one. But the Bird's Eye View one was was really cool because every single team did something remarkably different with that clue. So mm. some people took photos from above. People actually found birds and photographed them in different ways so that, you know, they were actually like bird's eyes leading into the background of the you know like a bird with an eye in the foreground like kind of leading you in to what was happening in the image wow background. someone found a house that looked like a bird and put one of their team members like in the window of this house that looked like a bird in its eye um so it's it's a real chance to brainstorm with your friends to be creative to make exceptionally creative images and mostly to have a really great fun time and and connect with creative play and all of the fun that that brings yeah, it's funny how, I mean, the concept in and of itself is relatively simple, but nobody's really spearheading the effort, at least that I know of, of encouraging yeah. that kind of creativity. So I love that you've created something that encourages that. And the next one is coming up January 15th through 17th. Is that right? Mm hmm yeah, that's, that's right. It's happening in Austin. It, it actually, we actually designed it to dovetail with the Friends of Fearless conference okay. in Austin that's happening from the 13th to the 15th. So there's this great conference happening in Austin. And then uh, we're sharing a kickoff. So their rap party is at the same venue as our kickoff party. So we're kind of combining forces for that one. So we'll have our clue reveal party, which is where you hear of all of the photo prompts that you'll be shooting the next day. Uh, we'll have that at a certain venue and then Fearless will take over that venue and, and party. So the seven, the 15th through the 17th is Photo Fantastico. You can register online. 
we have a Facebook group as well, which um, you can link to if you're interested in doing it and don't have a team. I kind of have a running list of some very talented, cool photographers who don't have a team yet. So, you know, we are definitely willing to match people up to make a team if you if you don't have uh, other other fun-loving photographers in your life who, who would want to come to Austin and do it. But it really is ideal to do it with like a group of people like studio mates or friends. Um, it's just such a fun time. Cool. Well, we're going to link to this in the show notes for everybody that's curious. I mean, you can go to photofantastico.com just like it sounds, but we'll link to it in the show notes as well. If you're curious, want to learn more information. Um, I, I'd love the concept and, uh, Olivia, I hope this, this next conference is, or the next scavenger hunt is just a, a massive hit. I, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful idea. And I really, I mean, ultimately rooted in this idea is the significance of play and, and ultimately creativity as a result. And this conversation has been wonderful. I mean, we, it was so wide ranging. We've, we've talked about <laughs> so many different things and I, I really love that. It but was, yeah. ultimately we've come down to the significance of, of play, creativity. And, and I like that you're spearheading uh, a new brand that encourages that. And again, we'll link to all of these resources that we mentioned today in the show notes. Whereabouts can everybody follow you on social media as well? Yeah, so I am uh, Olivia Vale photographer with underscores between each word. Um, also, photo underscore fantastico is the Instagram feed that I'm more engaged in these days just because the festival's coming up. So uh, I've been posting, kind of like spending my time curating the photo fantastico Instagram. And yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so photo underscore fantastico and then Olivia Vale photographer. Okay, and we'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, thanks everybody for listening in and ultimately thank you Olivia for making time for the Boca podcast of course yeah it was it was definitely a pleasure and we hope to see some of you in January thank you so much for listening to the Boca podcast will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app and I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show my email is Nathan at photographers edit Com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com. dot com.